All right, my brethren, we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 today, 1 Thessalonians class number 6. 1 Thessalonians class number 6, we're in chapter 3 and verse 1. We'll pick up here today and really uh, continue on in the same mindset as we were leaving chapter number 2. But uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 1, Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone, and sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith. Now, this is a great passage here because if you remember back in chapter number one, Paul had said, we came to your town and we preached the gospel to you and we left you and we went to some other places and eventually we came to a city that had some converts of yours. In other words, the people of Thessalonica had went off into different places after they had gotten saved and they had won other people to Christ. And eventually Paul comes around and, and runs into some of those uh, Thessalonican converts, or I should say converts of the Thessalonican believers. And he said, we found them to be exactly like we left you. We preached to you. We discipled you. We left you in this condition. And when we met some of your converts, we found them in the same condition that we left you in. We, we found them developed to the place where we had developed you to. And he said, that was a good and a great thing. And so here in chapter 3, he's talking about being, being withheld from making it back to Thessalonica. And he says, instead of ourselves, we sent Timotheus. We sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ. So Paul had witnessed to them. Paul had preached to them. Paul had led them to Christ. Paul had discipled them a measure. And so he says, now I'm sending Timothy back to you and he's going to finish the work that we started when I was with you. And when Timothy gets there, he's going to establish you and he's going to comfort you and he's going to be able to do the same thing that I could do if I was there. Because, of course, when you get to the book of Timothy and he says, uh, Paul says that I've taught you and you're going to teach other faithful men. And that's the way that the gospel lineage is going to go from from uh, teacher to student, from teacher to student. And those students are going to become teachers and they're going to have students. And so Paul is saying the power, part of the power of this gospel is I want you to be established. I want to have a hand in your uh, establishment, your comfort, your joy, your faith. He said, but I'm going to be able to send Timotheus. I'm going to be able to send Timothy down there. He's going to be able to accomplish this same thing. And I'm so glad that's true because uh, Paul preached to this man and this man preached to the next generation. The next generation preached to that next generation and the gospel has had its power all down through the ages so that it eventually passed on to my pastor and my pastor pa uh, passed it on to me, taught me. And uh, even in a case where a man uh, might have some uh, faulty principles or he might have some faulty doctrines, still he passed on the, the gospel, the establishment, as far as being a Christian disciple, which means discipline. He can pass on those things to me and the Holy Spirit can uh, correct me and the Holy Spirit can correct things that might be 
uh, doctrinally off base. It might be a flat out heresy or it might be a doctrinally off base a little bit from from my pastor to his pastor to his pastor before him. We can have fallacies and we can be faulty. All of us can be faulty. And Timothy could be faulty and Paul himself was faulty. But Timothy was serving the same God and Timothy knew the same scripture that that Paul knew and that Timothy was able to carry on that gospel in the lives of these Thessalonians which Paul had already uh, had already won to the Lord and already had them established enough that they could go out and preach and teach and and really have good effect so he says and sent timotheus our brother and minister of god and our fellow laborer in the gospel of christ to establish you and comfort you concerning your faith and i'm reminded there of romans chapter 1 verse 11 paul says for i long to see you that i may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end you may be established And again, this goes back to Paul's mindset. Paul's mindset is these people need to be saved. And after after they're saved, Paul's mindset immediately goes to these people need to be established. These people do not need to be left to dry on the vine. These people do not need to be left to teach themselves. Uh, He has no idea or he has no ideas or principles that tells him that he can just turn these people over to themselves and the Holy Spirit will teach them everything that they need to know. Now, they can certainly read the Scripture and the Spirit of God can lead them to understand. The Spirit of God can can bring out the inspiration of the Scripture that will be able to teach them some things that are right and wrong. But the God-chosen method is, uh, is regeneration, and discipleship and that is the discipleship that comes from one believer passing that on to the next generation of believers and this is uh this is the this is the idea that we get when paul writes to timothy and he says so therefore thou therefore my son be strong in the grace that is in christ jesus and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. And he also says in First Timothy chapter number uh, 4, he says, Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee and so the idea of self-discipleship is not an idea that's supported uh, in the new testament church of god it is a it is a program of preaching for the lost man it's a program of hearing the preaching submitting and uh, submitting yourself to god in his righteousness and in his his plan of salvation and then following through with that with the discipleship that comes from an older, uh, perfect in the sense of maturity uh, believer that has been placed and called by God to, to bring about your establishment in the faith. And that's, what, that's everything that Paul is talking about here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Verse 3, that uh, he said, well, verse 2, let's, let's read a portion of verse 2 again. He says, to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith. Uh, 
Now he's going to go and explain some things about that. Uh, part of their establishment, he says, is going to be that no man should be moved by these afflictions. For yourselves know that we are appointed there too. Hey, well, you're going to be a believer now and you're going to get some afflictions. You're going to get afflictions from preaching. You're going to get afflictions from studying the scripture. You're going to get afflictions from unbelievers. You're going to get afflictions from governments. There's going to be all types of afflictions in your life that are going to be contrary to what you would call comfort. But he said, you shouldn't be moved by these. You should be able to find comfort in these things. And this is the purpose for Timothy's visit. And he says that no man should be moved by these afflictions. For yourselves know that we are appointed there too. We're appointed to a life following a man who is a rock of offense. And in that case, whether we're dealing with ourselves spiritually or we're dealing with the world uh, both physically and spiritually, we're going to derive a great deal of afflictions from those things. But when followed correctly, submissively, and being yielded to God, and yielded to the Holy Spirit of God and His leadership, we'll find love and joy and peace even in those things. That's the fruit of the Spirit. So he says uh, in verse number 3, he says that no man should be moved by these afflictions, for yourself know that we are appointed there too. For verily, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass. And you know, you've been warned, so don't let that slip. Remember, you were warned, because if you forget you were warned, you'll get to the place where you begin to think, well, man, I'm going through all this trouble. I must not be right with God. Or I'm going through all this trouble and it's not worth it. The trouble is worth it. I don't want to go through afflictions, trials, hardships, afflictions of any kind. But when I do go through them, I can't allow myself to, to believe that it's because I'm not right with God unless I'm not right with God. And I can't allow myself to say that going back to my old life would be better than this because we remember in Romans chapter 3 that whether you're trying to follow rules or whether you're trying to follow the desires of the flesh, both of those result in destruction and misery. The Bible says they are all gone out of the way in verse 12. And then in verse 16, it says destruction and misery are in their ways. And in that, in that context, he's talking about both the Jews who are trying to justify themselves by following the rules and the Gentile who is only living for the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Both of those men, both of those types of men are, are getting the same fruit for their labor they're get, they're reaping the same things they they've sown two separate lifestyles but they're both reaping the same thing misery and destruction and so that great peace that we're looking for comes through Christ not our circumstances the fact that uh, Christ died on the cross is not the I, I mean he died on the cross for preaching the truth Ultimately and spiritually, he, he knew that was going to take place and he died for our sins. But he came to the lost sheep of Israel to preach deliverance to them. They rejected him. And even though he didn't receive the desired effect or the most uh, uh, preferable outcome of his ministry, the Bible says that when he faced the cross, the Bible says, who for the joy that was set before him despised the shame and endured that cross. And I, I know I didn't quote that exactly 
as it says, and I wouldn't mind turning over there because off the top of my head, I can't quote it uh, just as it should be. But he says so uh, in Hebrews chapter number 12, he says, Ye have not resisted unto blood striving against sin, and ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. He says, uh, uh, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, wherefore all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Now, Christ preached and his message was rejected, and he suffered the shame of the cross for it. But ultimately, his chastisement, which was our chastisement in reality, but his chastisement yielded the peaceable fruit of righteousness in our life. So sometimes we'll live right and things will not turn out as uh, as we expect or as we would have them to turn out, but we can still have comfort in that while we're going through hardship. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now the cross wasn't the joy. The result of the cross was the joy. Who for the joy that was set before him, the fruit of what the cross would provide, the saved souls, the redemption of man was the joy that was set before him. In order to get to that, he had to endure the cross, despise the shame. He went through some things that he despised, having to go through. That's why he cried in the garden of Gethsemane, great drops of blood. If it be possible, let this cup turn from me. But he drank the cup. Praise God that he did. And so Paul says here, he says, you know, we told you it's going to be hardship, but stay the course. Uh, Carry the cross and stay the course. And this is why it's called the fight. Uh, Paul said he fought a good fight. This is why it's referred to as a fight. This is why it's referred to in the book of Timothy as enduring hardness as a good soldier. He said, we told you that these hardships was going to come. So take it as it is and go forward and, and the result and the fruit of it will be great victories. For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, using those hardships to tempt you out of service for the Lord. And so Paul says in verse 5, For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labor be, be in vain. If God can stop you from doing what He's called you to do, then He said our labor... Uh, in the town of Thessalonica, the city of Thessalonica, 
He said that that labor be in vain because the devil stopped you now and the work won't go forward. It'll end with you. Uh, but uh, as you started out going to these other cities, First uh, Thessalonians chapter 1, he said you need to continue in that because just because you've reached another city doesn't mean that your work is done. That work needs to continually come from your place, your town, your church. You need to continually stick with the fight. And don't let the devil tempt you away from it. I have in my notes, uh, I, I do from time to time make notes in my Bible at the end of verse number 5. I wrote it there with exclamation point. The one simple word, fight. For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you and our labor be in vain. Fight. Keep fighting, my brethren. But now, verse 6, when Timotheus came from you unto us and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity, and that ye have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our afflictions and distress by, by your faith. He said, hey, we come to try to get you some comfort to let you know, hey, these distresses and troubles and trials are going to be, they're going to be there and you need to endure them. But when our man came back to us and told us, that you were still going and that you were still in the fight and that not only that, but you was praying the same things for us, that we would keep going, that we would stay in the fight. You heard about our afflictions and your, your uh, heartfelt desire for us was the same as our heartfelt desire for you. Don't let old Paul quit. The Thessalonians were saying, don't let old Paul quit. Lord, help old Paul, help him. And Paul said, that gave me great, uh, that gave me great comfort. He says, therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our affliction. We have hardship, but we know that there's people praying for us. And those people that are praying for us, they're not just people who are uh, living in the lap of luxury, hoping we don't quit. Those are people that are going through the same trials, the same afflictions, and they know that it's going to be all right. They know that God's going to provide. They know that God is going to, going to give us the victory. And they're praying the same thing for us. We thought we were... We thought we were, uh, we thought we were distressing over the Thessalonians because they might quit under that affliction. But when we got down there, to, when we sent a messenger down there to preach to them, they come back and told us, well, they were thinking the same thing about us, and that was a great blessing to them. Paul said, well, "I'm not the only one going through this, and I'm not the only one overcoming through faith." And so that's a great, it's a great comfort in mind to know that you are not the only one that's going through these hardships therefore brethren we were comforted over you in all our affliction and distress by your faith for now we live if you stand fast in the lord if you stand fast it's going to give us a reason to go on if you stand fast if i hear about you doing something for the lord and you're facing uh, an adversary or you're facing afflictions or you're facing resistance and you keep on going that makes me much more bold to stay in the fight myself that's what paul's saying there for we live if you stand fast in the lord doesn't mean that their physical life or their salvation is contingent upon whether or not they stand or not if the Thessalonians fail Paul could very well go on but it'd be a very grievous thing to know some of your brothers have given up the fight changed their standards changed their stance changed their uh, dedication and zeal towards the Lord it's a very, it's very great distress 
And just remember, sometimes you get the idea you might backslide. You're going to have, it's not just your life. You're going to put hardships on others that love you and are praying for you. So stay in the fight. Stay in the fight. Not just for that reason, but stay in the fight. For what thanks can we render to God again for you, for all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God? He said, man, we can thank God for everything. We, we, God is the recipient of our praise primarily. First and foremost, God gets our praise. But he said, what thanks can we re- render to God again for you, for all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes? He said, we're thanking God. And, but what can, what can we really say? to God about the benefit that that we receive just from knowing that you're remaining faithful. And there there is something to that. You can't you can't transmit God's glory to man. You can't steal God's glory for yourself or for others. But that's really what he's saying uh, in this passage from this standpoint. He says, what thanks can we render to God again for you for all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God? He said, man, we have great joy, but we can't hardly put that in words toward God. The, the, the joy, the peace, the comfort, the inspiration that we get just from knowing that what God allowed us to do in your town goes on. He says, we can't describe that. We, when we go to God and talk about that, when we go to God and pray about that, we can't even put the thanks in its proper perspective for all the joy that we get directly from you. I mean, we get joy from God, but we also get joy from you. And when we're thanking God for you, we can't hardly put it in words to God how much we're thankful for you. We're thankful for what God has done for us. We can oftentimes put that into words. But what what it means to us to see some of our converts going on for God, it brings a great joy. It brings a great pleasure. It brings a great strength all of its own so that God is our great strength. But below that in merit and below that, certainly it's below that in merit and below that in prestige. But there's a great joy that you will get from seeing converts go on and serve the Lord. And so that's what he's saying in verse number eight and nine together. For we live, for we, for now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God again for you for all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God? We're praying to God. We're giving God the appropriate glory. But when we're praying, we're making it known to God that these brethren in Thessalonica are a great encouragement to us. They're being afflicted on every side. And they're suffering just like we're suffering, but they're going on. They're not seasoned veterans like us. They're just new converts, but they're sticking with the stuff. And Lord, that's a great blessing to us. We can't describe what a great blessing it is, but Lord, that's a great blessing to us. And I imagine a prayer like that from Paul, and I imagine a prayer like that from myself or from you or from anybody else being able to give God the glory for a work that he done through you to somebody else uh, that I imagine I imagine that in a prayer like that God would bless uh, God would bless those who you were talking about your converts in this case the Thessalonians I imagine that th- that kind of a, 
a prayer. God, I'm so thankful for Brother John. Lord, you let me uh, you let me lead Brother John to the Lord, and now he's a witness. But not only he's a witness, but man, he is he is really sticking with the stuff and his family and his old religion and and, and his you know his heritage is 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 all against what he's doing. But he's sticking in there and he's serving you, God. I. I, that does something for me that I can't put into words, but I thank you for it. I imagine a prayer like that would would have God uh, look on Brother John uh, with great favor and bless him with great fortitude and great peace and great joy. Uh, God can do those things directly to John without my prayers, or and God could do that. God could look on uh, Thessalonica in a great way without Paul's prayers. If they're converts, they're His children and have direct access to them. Their mediator is Christ, just like everyone else's. But there is there is a sense in this passage which puts far more emphasis on lineal Christianity than even. Bible-believing churches are willing to put on that same concept. And it ought to be thought about. We are, we are so independent now that we think that we don't need anybody else in the world to serve God or agree with us. I'm not following no man. I'm following God. We've got so much of that drilled into us as independent Bible believers that we think that that is the... We think that is the... Uh, the ultimate existence just me and God and nobody else that's not the ultimate existence the ultimate existence is having someone lead you to Christ and mentor you and disciple you and teach you and to win somebody else to Christ and mentor them and disciple them and to have not only a relationship with one another and a relationship in the scripture uh, a fellowship in the scripture but that that thing uh, would be raised up to God from the first teacher and the second teacher and the third uh, student, you know, in that line. And that student's going to become a teacher someday himself. But here's the, here's the student enduring hardship, and here's the teacher enduring hardship, and here's his teacher enduring hardship and temptations and trials and going on for God. And one of those talking to God about his student and the other one talking to God about his teacher and that same teacher talking to God about his student and God looking on one another as a unit, looking on each person as here is a group of people who are serving God together as a church and not just as a bunch of individual, hard-headed, rigorous, rule-following Pharisees as you found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It, the, this lineal Christianity that you see here in First Thessalonians chapter 3 is just as important as any other doctrine and it certainly trumps independence i mean it trumps independence with the highest trump card you could find it is putting a it is putting your opponent's king in checkmate with the queen it is the ultimate it is the ultimate uh avenue of approach to the christian life and it should be it should be viewed as that it's not just me serving christ it's us serving Christ. And that corporate idea of the church, we, us, it's, it's, 
it is what's uh, it's so hard to find a word for it. It is it encompasses every passage of scripture as you go through uh, the the Pauline epistles and even into uh, the writings of John and Peter. We us it's us. I'm not going through this. We're going through this. It's us, not me. It's it's a place of certain victory. It's a place of of certain assurance that I'm not the only one that's going through this. I'm not the only one that's ever fought this fight. And therefore, I know that I'm not going to be the only one to ever lose this fight. The only way I can lose this fight is to quit. And then Christ is the ultimate victor who's going to drag drag me across the finish line. So what a great passage this is. And we'll wrap it up here and we'll pick up in the next class.